This is a Pivotal Conversations podcast. Hello and welcome to the Girl Fit Method podcast. I'm your host, Natasha Wakefield, and I am here to help you take charge of your health, get empowered, and ultimately become the best version of yourself. Let's go. Hello and happy Sunday evening or Monday morning, or actually... Whatever day you are listening to this podcast on, I hope you're having the best day. Super excited to bring you today's podcast episode. It is with Jake and we are talking all things bloating and gut health, which I know is a massive issue for so many girls, actually just people in general. And I have struggled with my own gut health and I know exactly how horrible that can be when you're constantly bloated, like 24-7, waking up bloated, it doesn't matter what you eat. It's a really, really, really horrible thing to have to deal with. So I really hope this podcast provides you guys with some value. And Jake really gives us some tangible tips on what to do moving forward to kind of figure out the root cause of the gut health issues that you might be experiencing or the bloating and then what you can do to overcome that. So before we jump into today's podcast interview, I do just want to say to everyone that has supported the new podcast Instagram page, I appreciate that so, so much. I'm going to be running lots of giveaways on there as well as exclusive content. So please, if you haven't, make sure to hit that follow button. What I'll do is I'll pop that in the show notes. And if you do that, please send me a DM and I'm going to send you a free macro guide resource ebook, which is valued at 97 USD, completely free just for you to say a massive, massive thank you. And once again, please, if you haven't already, leave a rating, leave a review. I give away a $100 Gymshark voucher to anybody that leaves a review. Sorry, not everybody. I wish I could do that. I am I can't do that, but I wish I could. I give it away to one person each month. <laughs> so make sure you leave a rating and a review, screenshot that, send that to me on Instagram and you will go into the running. All right, let's get stuck into today's podcast episode. Hello and welcome back to the Girl Fit Method podcast. On today's podcast episode, I am joined, I'm joined by a guy and we don't actually have a lot of male guests. We do have them scattered throughout the podcast. However, they are few and far between, which means you should feel special. <laughs> so welcome, <I'm> Jake. <laughs> Super excited to have you on. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Excited to chat. I'm super excited to chat with you today. You are an expert in all things gut health, which is a huge topic and an issue that a lot of our listeners I know face. So this will be a really interesting conversation to have. Before we dive into things, I want to get to know you a little bit better and our listeners to get to know you a little bit better. So do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So um as you mentioned, uh, right now we have a, a functional medicine clinic called Atlas Functional Wellness. And I mean, I've, I've personally been in the health fit space for, I mean, a, a number of years now, I would say um, probably up until a, a couple of years ago, I was actually doing, I was a nutritionist working with individuals um, who are struggling with weight loss. So I did that for about six or so years. And what actually kind of put me on the path of of looking more into functional health and not just, you know, counting macros and, and working out and whatnot was my partner, Callie. Um, there was a time in our relationship uh, about, I would say, a year and a half ago or something, but she ended up 
experiencing a lot of um, unexplained health symptoms. And so out of the blue, somebody who was naturally very high energy, very goofy, very silly, all of a sudden started to see a, a huge decline in her health. Like she started to have tons of fatigue and brain fog and bloating. She would experience a lot of flare ups whenever she would eat food. And um, we couldn't figure out what was going on. I mean, we went down the traditional path of going to doctors, getting the the blood work done, getting all the different lab tests run. And, you know, it, everything came back normal as, in typical fashion. Every They said, every we don't know what's wrong with you. And so we were kind of in this position where, you know, the doctors were saying, hey, everything looks fine on our end, but obviously she didn't feel fine at all. And so that's where we decided to to kind of take matters into our own hands, started going and looking down more holistic and, and natural paths to to just figure out what was what was happening. And through that whole process, I mean, there was a lot of kind of self-discovery, a lot of a lot of research on our own. But it was actually what was kind of the catalyst for me to become uh, basically my title now, which is a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner, which is essentially um, a, an organization that focuses heavily on identifying and addressing the root cause of chronic health conditions, not just trying to slap a Band-Aid or on 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 a symptom or or provide some sort of temporary relief, but really understanding why are these things happening, like getting to the root so that they never come back. And so it was through this whole process, I guess, to make a long story short, that we went through uh, a number of different, I guess, strategies or whatever to try to try to address her issues. And we ended up stumbling upon um, what we now use in our in our clinic when working with individuals who are suffering from like chronic bloating, so on and so forth. And I'm sure we can kind of talk more about that in the podcast. But that's just a uh, a, a little bit of a breakdown of kind of how we ended up here. Mm, that's interesting. I, I think people underestimate the impact having poor digestion has on your overall health, but as well as your mental health as well, because when you're feeling sick in your gut, it just impacts mm-hmm. pretty much every aspect of your life. And the funny thing is, as I feel, and you probably see this all the time, is it's almost an issue that every single person deals with. And so people just feel like it's kind of just normal and you should put up with it when, in right. fact, it really isn't, right? Um, and it sounds like through that process, um, I guess, like with your girlfriend experiencing that, you probably would have seen how that affected her. Um, which has then obviously inspired you to then go down that route and um mm-hmm. There's a lot of need for people like yourself to be able to figure out what on earth is going on with people because that's half the issue. Um, if I draw on a lot of the conversations we have with our girls, they'll be like, look, I, I'm eating the right things. Like there's nothing really, you know, I don't have gluten intolerance or I'm not um, lactose intolerant, but literally every time I eat, I feel sick or I feel bloated or mm-hmm. my digestion's really slow. And it can be very frustrating because sometimes it can just, uh, I guess like, modern medicine can just say that's IBS, you know, that's just IBS Mm -hmm. and that's just the way that it is. And sometimes maybe there's something a little bit more sinister or um, concrete kind of going on. Okay. So let's have a chat about, I really want to focus today's conversation on bloating because bloating is a massive issue. Um, And maybe let's start like real, real basic. So why do we bloat and is bloating normal? 
Yeah, so that that's a great question. I mean, a little bit of bloating is normal, but if you're somebody who's experiencing chronic ongoing bloating, like to the point where it's, hey, after every single meal that you eat, or especially if you're somebody who's experiencing the type of bloating, which is a lot of the, the clients that we work with, where they, they also get that physical stomach distension. I've heard people refer to it as like, man, I feel like I'm six months pregnant every time that I eat food. And so um, there's a lot of potential reasons as to why somebody might be getting bloated. I would say for the most part, we could talk about kind of why this happens, but a lot of times it has to do with an imbalance in the bacteria in your gut. You know, we refer to it as the gut microbiome, but it's that whole ecosystem in your gut that's largely responsible for helping to break down certain components of food, particularly things like fibers that we as humans can't break down on our own. And so we rely pretty heavily on our microbiome. I mean, it, in addition to a, a whole bunch of other kind of functions in the body, but in particular for properly digesting food. And a lot of times these are these are what you would consider some of the more healthy foods, right? When you hear like things like FODMAPs, if you've ever heard the term low FODMAP, these are a lot of vegetables and fruits and beneficial foods, foods that you would actually consider to be very healthy for your gut. But for many people who have that imbalance in bacteria, these are the very foods that are causing the biggest issues for them. So I would say that's that's in most cases, almost it's almost always a factor that we need to address. But in addition to that, I mean, individuals who are chronically constipated, I mean, I know poop, that's everybody's favorite topic, right? But um, it's true. I mean, uh, you'd be surprised at how many people who we end up working with or who come to us who've been dealing with bloating for years. And it's it's literally because they're just not having regular bowel movements. <laughs> And so it's like, they don't have SIBO or IBS, like they're just backed up and they're not doing the things necessary to encourage regular motility and, and, and bowel movements. And so those are some of the primary ones. And then, I mean, obviously you can get deeper into hormonal issues. Um, a lot of, a lot of women specifically will experience bloating like near their, near their period. Right. And so that, that plays a factor. And then, there are some other, I guess, more serious con conditions that people deal with. But I would say those first two that I mentioned, just being constipated. And for many people out there, that's, that's, I mean, if you're not going every day, then you're constipated. And a lot of people, I mean, we talk to some, some people who say, Oh, I'm, I'm fine. I go maybe like once every week or once every five days. I'm like that. <laughs> that's not, that's not normal. And so, I mean, ideally, if you're not going at least once a day, like fully emptying, then 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 that is a form of constipation. It could be to some degree contributing to the bloating that you're you're experiencing. Mm. Okay, so let's. I want to kind of delve into that a little bit more because having slow digestion is a really big issue as well. Mm -hmm. I, is it a bit of a broad question, I guess, to ask you what causes that? Because there is so much that causes that. But from your experience, right. I mean, what are the what are the main causes? I mean, the things that pop into my head is I think a lot of people who don't follow a diet that includes a good amount of fiber, a, a wide range of foods, maybe that's just 
very includes lots of foods that are very highly processed would make sense to me. You know, like they're not getting enough fiber. They're Mm -hmm. not really feeding their body with sufficient nutrients. So, you know, that's like, well, of course, you know, that's going to impact your digestion. But if, if you've got someone that is making an effort with what they're eating, they're trying to include whole foods into their diet. They're trying to move their body. They're drinking enough water, all the basics, but they're not having regular bowel movements. And that's very right. hard for you to diagnose. And I guess I'm not asking that specifically, but from your experience, right. you know, what are what are some maybe left of center reasons as to why people have slow digestion? Yeah, that's that's a great question. And I guess um, maybe the best way for me to explain this is I can kind of start from the top and, and give a give a rundown, because I think in order to kind of understand how all of this works and why people deal with gut issues, you need to first understand how a proper digestive system is supposed to work. Because I think if you if you understand that, then I think you you can start to connect the dots in your own life as to why, oh, why I'm dealing with some of these issues based off of, you know, some things that that you're currently doing or not doing um, in your lifestyle. So I guess you want me to to kind of break that down for everybody right now? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so I I guess the most important thing to to understand, because a lot of people think that digestion begins once the food enters your stomach, but it starts way sooner than that right? So digestion actually begins in the brain before you even take that first bite of food. As you're looking at your plate and you're smelling your food, your mouth is already, you know, it's secreting like enzymes in your saliva to break it down. And then obviously, as you take that first bite and you're chewing it, like that's where digestion happens. So it's it's before you even take that first bite. And when you swallow that food, it's going into your stomach. And if you don't have an adequate amount of stomach acid to break it down, then what happens is that food's traveling through, you know, next into your small intestine. And, and at that point, like if it's not being broken down, that's where you can start to experience um, certain overgrowths. I mean, when you hear the term like SIBO, small intestine bacterial overgrowth, a lot of times that's because you have uh, bacteria that's starting to overgrow where it's not supposed to be. This is normal bacteria in the small intestine, but um when you're not breaking down your food properly, it's much harder for you to start like actually absorbing it. So now there's more food for this bacteria to feed on and start overgrowing. So you got to have enough stomach acid. Then in the small intestine, that's also where most of the nutrients from your food is absorbed. So there's a, there's a few other, I guess, digestive juices at that point that kind of play a role. So you have bile that helps to break down fats, and then you have enzymes enzymes that help to, you know, break down the food even further. And you even get some help with the bacteria in your gut at that point to break it down. From that point, it moves into your colon. And that's where the the majority of your microbiome exists. And and that's where they're going to be breaking down things like fiber, food that's not necessarily digestible to us before you excrete it, right? And so just knowing that when you think about, I guess, the very first step of digestion, which is the brain, right? Right. If you are somebody who is finding yourself constantly just always rushed when you're eating, so you're always in a hurry, maybe you just have a busy schedule, right? So you're eating food while you're driving or you're just on the go or even just skipping lunch and and eating while you're at your computer while you're working and you're just in this high stress environment, you're not taking the time to actually 
slow down and activate your parasympathetic nervous system, right? So that rest and digest state that that really is optimal for you to be able to properly digest nutrients. The problem nowadays for most people, this is once again, like kind of the very first domino to fall is that we just live in this overly stressed, plugged in world where we're constantly on the go. We're con- we have all of these, these stressors like financial stress, relationship, so on and so forth. And when we're eating food, we're in that fight or flight mode. That's actually, you know, a state where your digestion is really inhibited. You're not going to be secreting the right digestive juices. Motility is slowed. All of the, I guess, digestive functions that are necessary when you're in fight or flight are usually put on halt because when you're in a, I guess, a life or death situation, right? According to your, to your brain, when it's in that mode, it's not thinking about long-term processes like digesting and absorbing nutrients. It's thinking about whatever stressors right there in that immediate moment and how you can, how you can address it. And so I, I think it's a huge issue and it's, it's, it's one of the most underrated, I guess, things that people can do because it sounds so simple. It's like brushing your teeth or like getting enough sleep. Right. But literally creating a space for yourself whenever you have a meal to where you, I mean, I always recommend to, to clients, like just sit there and take 10 deep breaths before you even take that first bite. Just, just create a relaxing, calming environment for yourself and take time to actually smell your food before you take that first bite. Because once again, like as you're smelling the food, then your, your body's going to start secreting the enzymes that are needed for you to actually break it down and digest it and absorb it. And so I think just creating that environment, eliminating distractions, I say eliminate mindless eating, which is like no electronics, like turn off your computer, your phone, your TV, actually pay attention to what you're eating, be thankful, you know, have some sort of gratitude practice. I know, obviously, a lot of religions like to pray before meals Well, there's a lot of validity to doing that. And so even if it's just saying, hey, thank you for the food or even thinking of one thing that you're grateful for can just can can switch that mode that your brain's in and really put you in a more optimal state to be able to to digest that food. So incredibly interesting. It kind of almost feels like going back to caveman times when eating right. was eating was not an event, but it meant a lot more than what it does now because like you were saying we're all on the go so much and we're just half the time shoving things down our mouth just to get the job done Mm -hmm. and not really being very present in the moment where back in the day we usually had to work quite hard for what we consumed and so maybe there automatically was that gratitude there or it was more of an experience that brought people together a way to commune and come together where now it almost just feels like it is a necessary part to slip into our day in order for us to get done. Mm-hmm. We'll get the stuff done that we need to throughout the day, right? Like it's not, right. it's not the main event. Yeah, I think one of the, the exactly. And I, th- I think one of the, the challenges is that, as you mentioned, I mean, there was a lot more meaning when we had, when we, you know, grew our own food or we had to hunt it. And there was this whole, I guess, kind of ceremonial process where you had to like cook and prepare it. And you took all this time to like, to, to make this meal. There was so much more that went into it. Whereas now, obviously we're, we're inundated with so many highly processed foods 
that, you know, come pre-packaged, pre-made. And it's like you said, there's just less meaning to it. So we're just on the go, scarfing it down. We're not having to cook. We're not having to prepare it. And, um, you know, it's, 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 I mean, as you can, you can see, like, it's obviously caused a lot of issues for people in many ways. Massively. As you were talking, my brain was kind of going to the place where um, implementing this sort of stuff sounds really good. And then I thought about what about if the person, as I'm I'm thinking about all the girls that we work with who have not the healthiest relationship with food, eating to them can sometimes be um, a interesting experience in that mm-hmm. uh you know when we we work with our girls we we get them in especially if they've come from a history actually in both sense right so they come from a history of under consuming not being allow not allowing themselves to eat mm-hmm. and then we also have people that come to us that use food as a way to numb their emotions and so because they're coming mm-hmm. in with this complicated relationship with food being able to sit back, appreciate what they're eating can be difficult because there's lots of anxiety and mixed feelings around food, which in turn, to me, from everything that you've said, would make complete sense as to why they have digestive issues because food and eating for them is almost this process that induces anxiety. So if we talk Mm -hmm. about and think about, I guess, like what I'd love to ask you is, if we do, when it comes to our mental health and the way that we view food and the way that we view ourselves, that has to have some kind of an impact on the way that we then digest that food. From your knowledge and from your study, is there anything to kind of back that up, that connection between mental health, anxiety, relationship with food, and then how that's then digested? I am popping into your ears to reveal this month's Gym Shark voucher giveaway, and it is going to Ellen Ashton. Ellen, please send me a DM. I now have the podcast Instagram page. That's probably the best place to DM me. I will get that Gym Shark voucher to you. Once again, thank you everyone that left a rating and a review. And if you want to be in the winning to win next month, make sure you leave that rating review and then send me a screenshot of it. Okay, back to the podcast. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, there is a there's a direct connection between our brain and our gut through something called our vagus nerve. And that's ultimately I mean, it it is partially responsible for kind of signaling that fight or flight mode. But it's also what's largely responsible for, for controlling your your motility and basically the movement of food through the digestive system. So I think for a lot of people, Um, you hear, we hear it's pretty common where they feel like, man, I feel like there's just a brick sitting in my stomach. Like I feel, I feel like all this food's just sitting there and that can cause a lot of stomach pain, you know, bloating and whatnot. A lot of times that's because there's some sort of slowed or disrupted motility. There's actually something that, uh, not to get too technical, but there's a, a really crucial part of digestion that, that almost nobody talks about. And it's one of the most important factors to preventing things like SIBO or chronic bloating. And it's something called your migrating motor complex, or it's MMC for short. Now, this is essentially, you can kind of visualize this as like a, a mini street sweeper for your gut. And its primary job is every 90 to 120 minutes during periods of fasting. So when you're not eating, 
its primary job is to to go through your your digestive tract and sweep out any sort of food particles or um, bacteria or things that that could eventually build up and overgrow and turn into something like SIBO, and just make sure that that everything is moving along properly. And that's, I mean, obviously proper motility goes hand in hand with, uh, you know, having regular bowel movements and not being constipated. But that MMC is controlled directly through the vagus nerve. And so if you're somebody who experiences chronic stress or anxiety or, you know, ruminating negative thoughts, whatever it is, I mean, that once again, that is what triggers your your fight or flight mode through that vagus nerve connection. That that signal is being dampened. I guess is the best way to to think about it. Which once again is it's it's you're not producing the right digestive juices, but you're also not moving food through um, through the digestive system very very well. And so I, I do think it's so important to have some sort of I guess stress management practice or, or gratitude practice specifically before meals. Cause it really does make such a, such a big difference. But I also, you know, I'm, I'm well aware because like I said, my background was in weight loss consulting as, as well. I'm, I'm well aware that that's sometimes a lot easier said than done. And especially depending on what sort of associations people have to food, right. People have a lot of emotional anchors to food from their childhood or what, whatever it may be, right. It's some, some sort of comfort for them. Uh, I think I guess the the biggest challenge is is learning to shift your relationship to the food that you're consuming and your association to those foods, and in a sense, I guess change the the focus and the goal of of why you're eating that food in the first place. And I think, you know, I, I'm not sure. Maybe that's something that, that you talk about a, a lot, but um, I've found that to be really the kind of the main thing for helping people to I guess reframe what food means to them is like. You know, what, what are you doing this for? Is it to, to nourish your body because you love yourself or is it more so for like to, to look a particular way? And, and I do think that that also the way that you're kind of framing that can can dictate like how, how you feel about food when you, you know, when you're about to have a meal. I totally agree. As you're talking, it just makes so much sense. And you're right. I, I think where a lot of people go wrong is they, you know, we have labels on food as good and bad. And, you know, it's obvious just to know that there are foods that provide us with micronutrients that will then eventually, you know, um, provide us with more energy than there's foods that um, give us things that are maybe not, when it comes to our physical health, aren't as beneficial. However, mentally or socially, they play a really important Mm -hmm. role in our life. And I can only imagine now if someone's sitting down to eat something and they've labeled something as bad, then what that's triggering and how that's then impacting that digestive process when they've got that, sometimes they're not even quite aware of those feelings of anxiety as they're consuming something. And then, and, and you know, maybe even it is a quote unquote healthy food, but if they're not, a, they're not, they're not consuming that food with gratitude as we we're talking about. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's almost like a self-punishment or they're doing the wrong thing, then how that's then going to impact their digestion in the long run. Uh, and it, the hard right. thing is, is it's like, it's, it's not something we can just switch off, you know, when our relationship with food is quite complex and we've thought a certain way mm-hmm. about food for years and years and years, then being able to transition into a place of gratitude for food takes a lot of time and takes a lot of effort and probably a lot of undoing of old beliefs. But 
we have to start somewhere at some point. Um, right. Touching on what you were you were talking about as well, I, I think back to my own experience with gut health, and I had issues with my stomach for years. I'd say the majority of my twenties, and I would go and see specialists, and it was so incredibly frustrating because I had I would have times where you know, like you touched on looking like you were pregnant and the bloating was like Mm -hmm. extreme. Um, And I remember after having my little boy as well, I was incredibly ill for about 12 months in my gut, like very, very bad. And there was no reason as to why I look Mm -hmm. back now. And I think they were all incredibly stressful times in my life. They were either had external stresses in my life or I had uh, throughout my 20s, I I had like a really unhealthy relationship with food and I um, didn't appreciate what I was consuming and I most certainly didn't eat out of a place of respect and wanting to nourish my body, but it was always about how I could be the smallest. And it's so interesting mm-hmm. that, that there's that correlation. I also know now if I have a stressful day for whatever or there's been a stressful event, I know without doubt the next day I'm going to be bloated and I'm going to have cramping in my stomach and I'm not going to feel great. And right. I know that there's that clear correlation now. It's not necessarily what I'm consuming, but it's how I'm feeling when I'm consuming that food or the times around consuming that food that I know has made an impact for me. But hearing that from you now makes complete sense. Um, yeah. yeah. So I guess like from your perspective and in working with people, and I know this is going to be, it would be very, very individual to each particular person. And you've already touched on some really awesome tips that people can implement to help to improve their digestion. If someone has, you know, gone to the doctor, there's nothing sinister going on, but they are experiencing things like constipation, constant bloating, maybe even diarrhea. They've just got they don't have consistency with their gut health. Where are the first places? I mean, we've already touched on gratitude and um, being mindful of what we're eating. Are there any other practical tips that you could give us that people could implement to help improve their gut health? Yeah, yeah, I got a bunch. So I would say once again, I mean, one of the one of the core reasons why you know the the microbiome is so important is because when somebody consumes, let's, like I said, foods that humans can't digest. So you're looking at fibers, FODMAPs, which is just an acronym for, you know, a bunch of different categories of foods. So like you would get things like beans and lentils and some dairy products and different vegetables, things like onions, garlic, so on and so forth. Um, it's because when you consume those foods that these bacteria love to feed on, they're really, I guess, doing two things through a process of fermentation. And this is when they're fermenting these these foods, it's basically they're breaking them down. They're creating a lot of beneficial byproducts, like things like short chain fatty acids that are really, really powerful anti-inflammatory compounds. So they help to heal the gut lining. They just reduce inflammation in the body, but they also produce gas as a byproduct, right? That's why, you know, you eat too many beans, you get a little gassy or whatever, right? But the problem is, if we've gone any number of years in our life and we've consistently engaged in different habits or things that that actually harm the microbiome and one of those is stress another one you know if you're not sleeping well if you overuse antibiotics um if you're exposing yourself i mean there's all sorts of things like herbicides and pesticides there's 
and and this isn't really kind of my place to you know speak on but i mean birth control can can be a, a disruptor to the microbiome in 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 some instances and you know i do think it's something to to look into yourself like i'm not one to push my beliefs or or views on anybody i think it's a really personal decision that you know every every woman should make for themselves but um there's a lot of a lot of different lifestyle factors and and maybe even just not eating a, a diverse healthy diet where we're consuming a lot of inflammatory foods and so on and so forth this is basically creating a situation where we don't have a healthy microbiome and the way that i would i would kind of label what healthy means is you want a lot of diversity of different strains of bacteria and a lot of richness so high levels of those different strains. And what can happen when you start to to lose a little bit of that, just because of all the things that I just mentioned, is that's when you, you lack the necessary bacteria to properly break down some of those fibers and um, you know, FODMAPs and things that things that uh you're consuming. Now, when you don't have the right bacteria, what happens is you, it's it's an inefficient fermentation process, which basically means it's going to be producing more gas than you would if you did have enough healthy bacteria. And that's where people, that's where you get the SIBO and the IBS because it's excessive amounts of gas being produced. Whereas, you know, you or I, or somebody who doesn't deal with these digestive issues, they might eat some onion or garlic or whatever, and they feel fine, or maybe like a cup of, of lentils or something, and they're fine. But this person, they eat even just a little bit and there's so much gas that's produced because they they don't have the right bacteria to break it down. And so they're just getting bloated way more than the average person. So I guess practical tips would be to really focus on creating that diversity and richness in the microbiome. Now, how do you do that, right? So I guess my first recommendation, and, and keep in mind, I guess a little disclaimer is that if you are somebody who's dealing with like severe chronic issues, there might be some kind of steps prior that would need you would need to take to to address this. Like if you do have a bacterial overgrowth or or a pathogen of some sort or even something like candida, whatever, like you would need to go through some sort of eradication protocol. And there's testing for that. Like we run specific um, stool tests. Like we like the gut zoomer from a company called Vibrant Wellness. It's pretty comprehensive. Um, you know, there's ones like GI map that, you know, those types of tests that can tell you if there are sort of overgrowths present, but let's just say we're talking about the average person who's wanting to really take some steps to, to, to make sure their gut stays healthy. The first thing I think is the easiest is to incorporate a high quality spore-based probiotic. So these are a little bit different from typical probiotics that, you know, you would go and buy from the shelf of a, of a grocery store, although they are becoming more and more popular. So you might see some of those on the shelves here in the near future. But I guess what's different about a spore-based probiotic versus, you know, like I said, the refrigerated ones, bifidobacterium, um, you know, those types of strains is that they they have a, a, a unique feature where they, they have kind of like an armor-like coating that surrounds them called an endospore. Now, this is, I guess, like a, a an evolutionary design that has allowed these types of spores to survive in really harsh temperatures and environments like all around the world. So these are these are soil based. If some people are more familiar with the term soil based probiotics, that's basically what a spore is. And the benefit to that is that when you take that, 
because it has that armor-like coating, it's able to actually much better withstand the harsh environment of your digestive tract to be able to get down into your colon where you know the majority of your microbiome is and actually begin to repopulate. Because what happens with a lot of probiotics that you find at the store, the ones on the, you know, especially in the fridge, and you say, why are these ones refrigerated? Well, it's because if they're just left out in room temperature, then they start to die. They can't handle the heat. Well, it makes you wonder then, like if if they can't handle room temperature, 73 degrees, how is it going to survive if it's going through this harsh stomach acid and, you know, your body's 90 whatever degrees? Um, it most of that, most of those strains typically die before they're actually able to, to repopulate your microbiome. That's not to say that traditional probiotic strains don't have any benefit, but but I guess the main difference is those benefits that you're deriving from them are are more so it's like an acute benefit. So you might notice some some reduced bloating or alleviation with constipation, but second you stop taking it, the symptoms come back. Mm. The cool thing about spores is once again, they have the ability to survive through your digestive tract, but they also have uh, a unique ability to do something called quorum sensing. Now, this is, sounds kind of like a like a sci-fi word, but essentially what that means is they're able to survey the environment of your microbiome and actually assess is there certain levels of beneficial bacteria that are are lower? Are there certain levels of, I guess, not so beneficial that the technical word is opportunistic bacteria that are higher? And what it can do is it can actually begin to outcompete some of those not so beneficial bacteria and bring down those numbers while also bringing up the levels of certain uh, you call them keystone bacteria strains, which is which are really the, the the most important and beneficial strains of bacteria in your microbiome. So not only can it survive through the digestive tract, but it can actually intelligently look at what what beneficial strains are low, which ones are too high and really work to balance that out. So spores are pretty crazy. And, uh, and you know, we're really on the forefront of that, but, but yeah, go ahead. I was going to ask, okay. So, you know, is there any kind of particular brands, um, or yep. yeah, because they're, you know, it's so overwhelming and you think you're making a choice or purchasing a product that's going to benefit your health, but if it's only going to give you that real short-term relief, there's no real point mm-hmm. in even wasting your money in that. So yeah, are there any brands that you would suggest or places we can find? Yeah. Yeah. So my personal favorite is a company called Microbiome Labs. And actually Karan Krishnan, I'm not sure if he's still with the company, but he was the chief microbiologist there. And you know, he's he's the one who I've learned actually a lot of my information around spores. He's on a lot of great podcasts. So I definitely recommend searching him up and you know, you can learn a lot more um, about spores that way. But Microbiome Labs is a, is a great company. I know um, Biocidin has their own brand called Proflora, but but Microbiome Labs is is definitely kind of like the leader as far as spores, in my opinion. I might now. Um, it, link, it, sorry. Oh, go ahead. I, I said I might link that in the show notes for anyone that wants to have a look. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think you can. Uh, I know you're in Australia, so I'm not sure if you guys. Not sure if you have Amazon over there, but I think you can even just uh, get it on Amazon. Look, yeah, I was going to say, we've got sneaky ways to get around this <laughs> stuff, but we're always about five years behind the rest of the world. So we might need to yeah, wait. What I are would... we? I might need to wait to 2030, I think, <laughs> to get my hands on some. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. So, so spores, I mean, I, that that's an easy win. Now keep in mind, like depending on how sensitive your gut is, you, you might need to really scale back. So for example, like the serving size, I think for, for microbiome labs is two caps. There's some people who might even need to go so far as to break open one cap and pour a fourth or an eighth of that into some water and drink it. And that's, that's okay. Like, don't just say, okay, okay, I took the serving size and it just made me feel terrible. Therefore, it didn't work for me. It's really about, you know, starting where you're at. So if you have to scale back, then, you know, it is what it is. Now, in addition to taking the spore, the other, I would say the most important thing that you could do to start strengthening the health and diversity of your microbiome is by incorporating a diversity of different plants. And uh, I guess that going back to like, I guess, shifting your relationship with food and your association, because I'll tell you personally, growing up, I mean, I've always been kind of like the the bro, you know, going to the gym. I, I, I literally at one point in my life had a belief that why would I eat vegetables? Because there's no like protein in them. It just seems like a waste. Like, because I was, you know, I was trying to bulk and, and, and put yeah. on muscle. So I was eating all this food. I'm like, that's just empty calories. Why would I eat that? if, if it's going to make me full and I'm not really getting any calories from it. And that was my, my stupid belief back then. But because of that, like I, most of my diet growing up was, was completely void of vegetables. Like every now and again, I would have some, but I never really had that healthy of an association with vegetables and, you know, let alone the preparation, having to like cut them up and, and chop them and cook them. Like I just didn't, I didn't know how to, chopped vegetables. I didn't know how to cook it. I didn't know what they paired with. So I like to me this, when I was, when I learned how important it was, I was like, Oh, I gotta like, I gotta learn a bunch of new skills. Right. It wasn't something that I looked forward to doing, but there was an analogy um, from a great book. If you guys want to learn more about this, it's called fiber fueled um, by Dr. Will. I can't, he's got a crazy last name too. Will B. Bolsheviks or something like that. I probably butchered it, but what is, what is um, it, he has Will? this in, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Dr. Will fiber fueled, you'll find it. But um, there's this analogy that he uses that for me was like a light bulb moment that, that really clicked for me and like put all of this together. So the way that he explains your microbiome is like, you can kind of think of it as an additional muscle in your body. Right. And when you consume fiber or, you know, the, yeah, the foods that, that these bacteria like to feed on, that's like working out that muscle. It's giving it a good workout. Right. So obviously, the more fiber you consume, the stronger it gets in a similar way as, you know, you go to the gym, you work out, you get stronger. So the way to think about, you know, if you're somebody dealing with chronic gut or digestive issues, I always like to explain, in a sense, it's almost like you've got this, this injured muscle. So let's say, you've injured your your knee or something and every time you work out like you go and try to do squats it just keeps getting re-injured and you're like oh my gosh and even if you're like scaling back the weight like super low you're still getting injured because it just it needs time to heal and so oh i think of uh you know when you're dealing with chronic issues going on on some sort of diet like the low FODMAP or something is, is almost like a, a rehabilitation program for your gut. So you're scaling back and you're saying, okay, we're, we're going to, we're going to pause on doing the heavy squats for a second while we work to strengthen this. But what we need to do while we're in rehab 
is we have to find what I would consider the, the maximum tolerable dose of, you know, whatever workout that we're doing, right? In this, in the case of this example, we're finding the maximum tolerable dose of whatever fibers that we're having a hard time tolerating. The problem for a lot of people is when they're dealing with these gut issues, they'll go on something like the low FODMAP, they'll cut out all these foods. And sometimes this is literally the recommendations they're getting from specialists, which is, hey, you're just going to have to be on a low FODMAP diet for the rest of your life. But ultimately what that's like is it's like saying, oh, I, I injured my knee. So I guess I'll never just work out ever again. Like that's that's the best way to make sure my knee doesn't hurt is I'll just never go to the gym again. Mm. But as you know, I mean, if you you just avoid the gym forever, like you're, you're going to get your muscles are going to atrophy. You're going to become less tolerant to workouts over time. So what happens if you take five, 10 years off from the gym, you end up even just doing like, a, a few sets of body weight lunges, you're going to feel it the next day. Like you're going to be really sore. And I guess the best example is, you know, the, the bloating that somebody feels after eating, um, eating a meal, the bloating in the gas is like the, the soreness after a workout. So obviously the more, the more fiber you consume, it's like doing a more intense workout. You're going to feel it, but that doesn't mean you should just not go to the gym. It means what is the 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 maximum intensity that I can do right now that my body can tolerate? And then how can I systematically and slowly incorporate more and more intensity over time? Or how can I incorporate higher amounts of that food, that fibrous food that I haven't been able to tolerate or different amounts uh, of, of fibrous foods over time? And so that's really just where somebody needs to start, wherever you are, you have to find that baseline. A lot of people look at it as like a binary. Oh, I can eat this food and I can't eat this. It's like I can tolerate this and I can't tolerate this. But it's really, you should think of it more of a, a spectrum. Like how much of this food can I tolerate? Now for myself personally, just to understand how this works, like my whole life, I've never been able to tolerate beans and lentils. I eat a little bit. It it makes me bloat. It makes my stomach cramp. Like it hurts. I get gassy, you know, classic. Um, but that was a goal for me as I went through this journey is I'm like, okay, I'm going to really put this to the test and see like, can I heal my microbiome to the point where I can tolerate this? Because early on, I just decided oh, that's just a food that I can't eat. So I cut it out and then I never brought it back in. And so when I first started, and so I started cooking lentils, I was literally eating one spoonful a day. And that was it. And I was just like, just, just in the morning with breakfast or whatever, dinner, just one spoon. And that's what I could tolerate. And then over time, you know, it became two spoons and then it became like a fourth cup and then a third, so on and so forth to the point now where like, I can eat lentils every single day, multiple times a day, huge servings, doesn't bother me at all. Mm. But what's happened? What's the difference between where I was then and now? It's It's now I've, I've essentially fed my microbiome the food that it needs. So I've started to grow more beneficial strains of the bacteria that's that's more efficient at actually breaking that food down. And so aside from, like I said, just taking the spore-based probiotic, it's really about one thing, which is diversity of plants. And I guess the way that I've shifted that association and relationship in my mind is by <laughs> like thinking of it as a muscle. But once again, that's because like, I'm super into working out. So to me, I'm like, yeah, let's, you know, it's, it's like, I have levels. I'm, I'm almost like counting 
how many different plants did I eat for today? How many different yeah. plants did I eat throughout the week? And it's like, I've almost gamified it in my own mind. And so now instead of me just thinking like, oh, I got to eat vegetables because they're healthy for like, yeah, yeah, they're healthy for me, whatever. Now I have like an intent behind seeking out new vegetables and new fruits and new f- foods that I haven't exposed myself to and that I have that I have haven't tried. Like one thing my girlfriend and I do now is every time we go into the grocery store, like every weekend, we we make it a goal to find one fruit or one plant basically it could be a fruit a vegetable whatever one plant that we have never eaten and we just buy it we just buy one of them Mm. and and we try it out and we taste it and we experiment and we see what things we actually like and like through that process week by week you'll start to uncover like a whole new realm of food and flavors that you didn't even knew existed yeah and so when you kind of treat it as like this fun game of like you you're like oh i'm trying to get my microbiome as, as swole or as shredded as possible or, you know, whatever. Um, and you're kind of like counting how many, how many plants you're eating. Now all of a sudden it becomes something that's fun. It's, it's adventurous, right? You start to get curious as opposed to being like, Ugh, I just can't I hate eat asparagus. That. And I think yeah, so. the way that you've just explained exactly. that makes a lot of sense. And I think where people obviously clearly go wrong is exactly what you said, where they go, I can't eat that. That makes me sick. Therefore I don't eat any more of that. But in fact, that's actually just making the situation 10 times worse when they think they're making the best decision. Look, we've run out of Mm -hmm. time. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I'm almost feeling like we need to do a part two because this topic is absolutely massive. And I know I'm going to have a lot of questions after this. So I might get you back for a round two if you're open to that. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's obviously a lot to dive into, so I'd, I'd love to. So much. And where can people find you if they want to find out more about you and what you do? Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram. It's just Jake Cokerhands. Uh, probably have that in the show notes. So I will. Yeah, it's a. I, mean, I tried to, to spell it. Uh, I attempted yeah. to pronounce it before we jumped <laughs> on, and I said, "No, I'm just going to call you Jake." <laughs> Safer yeah. option. Yeah, Thanks. that's. That, that's perfect. And then, I mean, if you guys do, we have additional free trainings as well. If you want to go to free training.atlasfunctionalwellness.com, um, we got a 30 minute training you can check out where I dive a little bit deeper into there. Um, so feel free to check that out. Keep in mind, um, you know, if you do that, one of our assistants may reach out to you. So just be aware. I mean, if you are looking for additional support, um, but otherwise, like, yeah, we've got a, a great like long form training available for you if you'd like it. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Jack. I really appreciate it. 